0: Well, please join me now in Second Peter chapter 3, as today we talk about the new earth. And here we are in this Thanksgiving time, and I know you had a great time giving thanks already, but today I want to give you another reason to take your thanksgiving up into a whole new gear. We are to give thanks. It's a vital part of the Christian life. In fact, we would say it this way, there is something spiritually wrong. We are seriously spiritually ill if we are not thankful people in light of all that God has done for us. Consider the scriptures. We're on our way to 2 Peter 3, but listen to this. Psalm 100, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Of course, we're going to give thanks to him. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught. Here it is. Abounding in thanksgiving. And so at the top of the list of things for which we're thankful, God, you made me. You didn't have to do that. And then if we're among the saved, Jesus, you washed me clean. You saved me. You adopted me in to the family. He's been so good. But I want you to know today that the best is still to come. As we think in a moment about the new earth, I want you to think with me, the best really is still to come. And I hope that's good news for you. If you are in the midst of heartbreak in your life right now, and there are people in our congregation going through very difficult times, and it's good news to know, listen, it's not always going to be like this. The best is still to come. But this is also good news if you're going through just a really sweet time in your life and everything is like, I couldn't imagine it being better. Oh, it's going to get so much better. And we're going to see that together in our text. So let's go in together and let's look together Second Peter chapter 3. Let's jump in at verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Consider with me this morning three truths. First, this one, the merciful delay of the second coming the merciful delay of the second coming. We considered this a bit last time, but let's go back into that wonderful truth. And we see it in verse nine. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So we've been talking already about how what's coming is better than what we have right now. So why is God waiting to bring that to us? Why wouldn't God bring us into the best now? Why would we wait on what is going to be the best? Well, he's waiting for a reason. God is giving time for more and more people to hear the gospel and to respond to the gospel. Again, verse nine, see it with me. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He says the same thing, essentially, in verse 15, let your eyes fall down there. He says in verse 15, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. So when Jesus comes, and we look forward to that, and we wish it were today, and perhaps it will be, but when Jesus comes, that'll mean for us who are believers, our our ultimate salvation, the culmination of all that he's promised, that will be ours, resurrection bodies and all that. We look forward to that. But also when Jesus comes, while we're as believers experiencing that, unbelievers will be experiencing the judgment of the Lord. Every knee bow, every every, every uh, knee bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord. That's going to happen. And so the Lord mercifully waits on the judgment that he is going to bring. Now, we talked about this a bit last time. For that delay in the second coming to mean salvation for unbelievers, that means you and I have to be talking about Jesus. Just the waiting on the second coming doesn't save anyone. But in this period of our Lord waiting to bring about our ultimate salvation, and the culmination of all things, for that to be salvation for others, you and I as Christians have to be talking about Jesus. I want you to think about your testimony a moment. You've heard me tell mine through the years how my brother was the the single greatest human influence in me coming to Jesus but as I think about it, I had other relatives, my grandparents, I think about, they, they laid a foundation as I, as I think about it, though I don't talk about them much in my testimony. I also think about church when I went as a reluctant kid, not really paying attention. I was picking up a biblical worldview that there is a God and he is good and sin is bad. At least, at least I had that as the backdrop. But people were talking. I was hearing the message. And that's how I was saved. your story's the same way, right? You didn't grow up with no Christian influence and just lying in your bed one day, never hearing the gospel, you then believe the gospel that you've never heard. It's not possible. And so think about this, for other people to become a believer like you're now a believer, destined for the new earth, you and I have to be talking about him. So Tommy mentioned here at the beginning that we have this invite day coming up on December the 12th, another excuse to invite somebody to come. And I hope this will take some of the awkwardness out of inviting somebody, maybe for the second time, because all of us have invited somebody to church and they didn't come. And we think, well, they said no by not coming. And you think, when do I come back around? When, When is it appropriate to ask again? Well, this gives you just another chance to say, hey, our church is having an invite day and I just want to invite you again to come. Maybe this time they would come. Maybe they're at a different place in their life and they'll understand the need to come. Can also mention this holiday season is also just a wonderful opportunity. When, when people are thinking on some spiritual things, the songs of the season will be very helpful. Christ's name's going to be playing out there. And, uh, and so I would say this is a great opportunity to invite somebody to worship with you and hopefully even engage in a spiritual conversation. Our Christmas Eve service, another great opportunity. There's three o'clock and five o'clock services where you can invite somebody to come. It's in a lot of people's tradition to think about church at this time of year. Let's maximize that. The Lord is delaying his coming so that there's an opportunity for more to hear and more to respond to the gospel. Let's maximize that. But also this is the time when we focus especially on international missions. We do that all year. But here's this week of prayer. Here's this couple of months season of giving toward international missions. This goal of $150,000. This is critical that we seize this opportunity as well. Because this is what we do while we wait on the return of Christ. We share the gospel. So let's consider together firstly that we are thinking about the merciful delay in the second coming, giving more people an opportunity to hear from us the gospel and to respond to it. But secondly, hear this with me, and this, this helps us understand the urgency of this. Consider with me from our text, the total destruction of the present order at the second coming. We're going to talk about the new heaven and the new earth in a moment, but consider first the total destruction of the present order at the second coming. Verse 10 again. And hear these these words, not poetry, very vivid. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works there that are done on it will be exposed. Then verse 12, look at that waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. So let me quickly add here, he's not talking about the burning of God's home in heaven. We're talking about the atmosphere. We're talking about the things these we see in space. We're told there's coming a time when that will be destroyed. So all the negative things associated with with this earth marred by sin as it has been, will be replaced with a new earth and new heavens. So this passing away of the present earth is really talked about in multiple places in our scripture. Here, notably in 2 Peter chapter 3, we're told so clearly about it. But our savior Jesus talked about the same truth in Mark 13, verse 31. Listen to the words of our savior. He said, heaven and earth will pass away but my words will not pass away. And rightly, we typically fixate on those other words, but my words will not pass away. That's a great truth, that God's words are eternal words. We should build our lives on it. But, but he also said here, heaven and earth will pass away. Everything will not rock along like it has been. Ultimately, after Christ returns and in the sequence of events that culminate, there will be a dissolving of the heavens and earth How about Revelation 21, which we're going to spend some time in in a moment. It says this, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. But even in the Old Testament, we read of this in Isaiah 51, 6, lift up your eyes to the sky. Then look to the earth beneath for the sky will vanish like smoke and the earth will wear out like a garment and its inhabitants will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever forever and my righteousness will not wane. Just one more, Isaiah 65, 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. So this present earth as it is, to be destroyed with fire for the purpose of purifying it, refining it, making it new. A dramatic change is coming from this existence to what God calls the new earth, a destruction of all things that pertain to sin and brokenness and a renewal of all things for God's glory and for our enjoyment forever. So we talked about Thanksgiving. You're thinking, when are we getting to the Thanksgiving part of this? Well, here we go. Here's the third point this morning. The glorious renewal of all things at the second coming. The glorious renewal of all things at the second coming. Verse 13 But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You and I are in store for a major, major upgrade. No matter how good life is right now, a major upgrade is coming. Now, we're in the Christmas season. Our choir just sang our first Christmas song of the season. So, so wonderful. But the advertisers have already been at it, right? And they've been trying to get you to upgrade some things. But a lot of the upgrades they're doing now, they're just an incremental change. So think about it. They're trying to get you to get a new cell phone. You have two cameras on yours. They're showing you one with three cameras on. And there's probably a software upgrade in there somewhere. It's just that at this point, it's an incremental. It might be nice to have. I think I could go another year with my current phone, right? But if you'll pan back with me, and if you'll remember, maybe the first phone you used in your life. Especially if you're about my age. Uh, the first phone that I used in my house, nothing like the phone that I use now. That first phone was a rotary dialed phone. Some of you younger folks might have to Google that this afternoon. Or maybe your grandparents told you about it, right? But it's that phone that was, that was tethered to the wall. There was always a cord there. And then you're trying to dial that thing. There used to be these radio contests, be the third caller to win some prize. And there you are about to break your finger trying to spin that dial. Finger would slip out. You got to start all over again. That was my first phone I remember. By the way, my family rented that phone from the phone company forever. That was a bad deal. They're paying something a month in case that day ever came, that heavy metal-like phone ever broke. They'd come out and fix it. But from there, you go to a touch-tone phone, and that was a big big, uh, innovation, I suppose. You're punching buttons, but you're still tethered to the wall. Weren't you still worried about long-distance charges in those days? Several cents a minute to dollars a minute. You were really worried about that in the day. Then came the cordless phone, and what a great thing that was. You had a base station, but you could roam around, no longer stuck to the wall. You couldn't really leave the house, although that was cool. You get on your front stoop, I'm outside on the phone. This is amazing. And then you have to run back in because you lost your signal. But you're still worried about long distance and all that. Then there was the car phone. I never had one of those. I think Magnum PI might have had one, and now looking back, ridiculous. Then there's the flip phone. We went, we went cellular, and there was the flip phone. And I remember my, my oldest daughter, when she started wanting to text with it, and that was a pretty laborious task to text with the flip phone. But I remember getting on her, listen, it's a phone. Stop doing that, texting. It's five cents a text. You gotta stop that. I sounded like an old man even then. <laughs> I finally gave up on that. But we were worried then about roaming charges. If I get out of my area, I'm gonna have to pay more. And aren't you glad now we've, we've moved past that in many cases? And then for those of you who use a smartphone, I see that this is a little bit like that rotary phone. I mean, I'm I'm making phone calls, but I'm just trying to make the point here that this is dramatically different. This is a major upgrade. If I think back to what my rotary phone was back home, tethered to the wall, this thing that I carry in my pocket, that's a video camera, a camera, my bank, I can deposit checks from my phone. It's, It's my Bible. It's a prayer list. It's my family photo album. This thing's amazing. And so we're just making the point. We have a major upgrade coming when it comes to the earth. This present earth and its condition right now, which really kind of amazing. It's a beautiful earth. It's amazing. We had A lot of great experiences on the earth, but what's coming is gonna be far superior to this. And that's gonna be our eternal home. What a change. Randy Alcorn talking about the new earth. He said, really, this is like the transformation from that caterpillar to the butterfly. Present earth, like caterpillar, pretty neat. But what's coming is going to be glorious. There's continuity between the two. It is this very earth, but it is made so much better. It is really like a resurrection. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are awaiting the resurrection of this body, transformed, a glorious body for the new earth. And so we're going to have that. So the earth itself, though, is going to be resurrected in a sense. It'll be destroyed by fire, refined by God, made glorious for his glory, for our enjoyment. In fact, Jesus said in Revelation 21, 5, behold, I'm making all things new, and he will. So here's where we are in God's creation history and his salvation history. He, of course, created the world that we live on and so good when he made it. Then there was the fall, the first human being sinned against God, earth under a curse. We've contributed a lot to the brokenness of the earth with our own sinning. But God has put in motion a plan of redemption, preserved the people, the Jewish people from them, a savior for all the nations on earth. And we're in that mode now, sharing the gospel, enjoying the gospel. But what's coming is recreation or restoration of all things when we are taken back to paradise with the Lord. And so with this spirit of thanksgiving of how great it's going to be, I want you to hold your place here. But if you would go with me to Revelation 21. Go to Revelation 21 because here John has a vision of the new earth. So we're talking about how great it is. Peter gives us a heads up that it's coming. Even Isaiah talked about it in the Old Covenant. Now let's look at John because God gave John a glimpse, taught him to write it down so that you and I could be excited about and appreciate all that's coming for us who are in Christ. So Revelation 21, the last book in the Bible, or of the last chapters in the Bible, look with me first of all, verses 1 through 5. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And I'm so glad John obeyed that and wrote it down. And the Holy Spirit has preserved that for us. And so here, consider this with me. This new earth is gonna be a place of perfection and great joy because of God's presence. It's a place of perfection and great joy because of God's presence. The main point of heaven, the main attraction of heaven is God himself and all that we'll experience with him. So we go to many funerals and in the funerals, there's typically a time of eulogy and friends and family who are heartbroken or sharing their thoughts. And sometimes those thoughts are very far from biblical. But we're very patient. People are hurting. We're not trying to argue in those moments. But oftentimes at funerals, people fixate on the wrong things for their comfort. And a lot of times people will talk about their departed loved one, their friend, and they think about what what silly little hobby they're doing right now. Insert your hobby here. I'll I'll try not to offend anybody. (laughs) But uh, all right now, they're probably... Playing shuffleboard, I don't know. I figured nobody's playing shuffleboard here right <laughs> now. And I understand we enjoy those things and we can't imagine life without those things, but but that's not the point of heaven. The big deal that John brings up here is God is there. We get to be with God, this amazing God we've been worshiping, who's who's highest of all, worthy of all. We get to be with him. Notice again, verse 3, Revelation 21, 3. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So we love him. Now we're having a great time with God. Now, but we get more of him. More intimacy with him in heaven. That is the main attraction of heaven. But don't we enjoy him now? We get to sing to him. We get to meet with him daily in the word, in prayer. The Holy Spirit is in us. We get to be temples of the Holy Spirit. Now that's thrilling. He's active in our lives, using us for his glory. So we're going to go from great, I would call it, in our relationship with God now, to perfect in our relationship with him. We're going to go from walking by faith to forever walking by sight. Look at verse 4. Listen to the comfort and perfection that's coming. And let's hear it again. Verse four, he will wipe every tear, wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. So celebrate with me this quality of life that we're gonna experience forever. See how he loves you. Jesus said, I've gone to prepare a place for you. This is the place he's gone to prepare for you. What's coming is going to be amazing and thrilling and awe. There's euphoria there in the loving presence of God. Look with me also in verses 22 and following in Revelation. Just as we consider this further, just the intimacy of God. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the, the city had no need of the sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb." By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. But how wonderful to dwell at all times in the presence and the glory of the Lord. We can say it this way, to always be on a spiritual high with the Lord and never have that diminished. To be in a resurrection body that never fatigues, never gets distracted, never gets bored. We've never experienced that, but we are going to. It is going to be glorious. Resurrection bodies on a resurrected earth. How great. Also consider with me, yes, the main point is the intimacy with God that we're going to enjoy forever. But how about this? The unparalleled beauty and splendor of the new earth. Here we see it also, maybe this afternoon, you might want to take a look at verses 10 through 21, but just some of the highlights here. In particular, the whole earth will be heaven as heaven and earth merge there on the new earth. But New Jerusalem is called out here for description. And we're told in verse 11 that its appearance is like crystal clear jasper. Those gates we've heard about our whole lives, indeed of pearl. Those streets we've heard about our whole lives, indeed of pearl paved with gold. We're told the city itself, pure gold. And then those high and thick walls are described as jasper in verses 17 and 18. But I love verse 19, where it says this, that the foundation of the wall of the city, the foundations were adorned with every kind of jewel. Are you picking up on how beautiful this home is that the Lord has prepared for those who have believed? And I love this. When we we get there, that's not gonna be a vacation. That's going to be home. All of us have taken vacations and we like where we were vacationing more than home sometimes. This, this is nice. It'd be nice to live here and there's that si- sad fly- flight back or drive back to home. Maybe the water pressure was even better at the place where you were than, than home. Listen, where we're destined to go on the new earth, that's home. The nearness of God, the goodness of God, and the beauty and splendor like we've never experienced before in a resurrection body, God has destined that for everyone who has believed. But here, here's a question. Why is it important for us to know that? Why is that included in the scriptures that we know? Because right now, we got problems right now. What, what good does that do me in some sense? Here's, here's why we need to know that, because we need to be thankful people. God, you've destined me for that. But not only that, Peter calls out here as we return to 2 Peter 3, we're to be holy people. We're to be holy people. Look again at verse 11 of 2 Peter 3. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? He goes on to say this in verse 13, but according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. So you and I are destined for a place where only righteousness dwells. We live in a place full of unrighteousness now, but we're the people of God who will one day be there. And so it's the intention of God, those that he's saved, those that he's cleansed and freely forgiven, we're to walk in that righteousness even now. What kind of people should I be as I await the new earth one day in my future? Oh, I should walk in holiness now. I should walk in godliness. Jesus saved me, cleansed me. He's clothed me in the righteousness of Christ. I am to live that out. There's a very different quality of life that you and I are to have on the earth in these days. Yes, as we share the gospel, but as we live a very different life than the people around us, showing them the way this is what God has for us. We are his. He is our Lord. What sort of people ought you to be? In lives of holiness and godliness. And then a word for those who are who maybe have yet to trust in Jesus. Can I remind you, Jesus has been patient. And his goal in waiting has been that that patience would lead to your salvation. In his mercy, he brought you here. You have now heard the gospel, that there is a savior. Jesus who lived perfectly, who died on a cross to pay for your sins, who was raised from the dead. And the promise of the gospel is, if you believe in Jesus, you'll not perish but you'll have everlasting life. That is the gospel. And you've had this great opportunity. God has been patient. He won't be patient forever. He'll come like a thief could come today. This is your moment with urgency, immediately acknowledge your sin to him. Oh, I've sinned. I haven't worshiped you. I haven't followed you. And you can list a whole lot of other things. I've sinned, but I do believe Jesus that you died for me. I do believe that you were raised from the dead on the third day. And I hear the gospel. that tells me I need to acknowledge this sin, repent of it, and trust in you. Would you right now ask Jesus to be your Savior? To know that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. To know that your home will be on the new earth. I pray that you'll trust in Jesus today. Let's pray.